Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Uh, but here we are. Happy Easter, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning, and uh, it really is a joy to just be in this space and, and worship God. I pray that today you would just leave with a smile on your face. Like, we're, we're, all, we're all facing issues and, and struggles, and we've got trials, and maybe even for you today, the holiday doesn't make it any easier. It could be a reminder of kind of just loss and brokenness, and, and really my prayer for you is that if you just leave this space with just a little more joy in your heart, I think that's a good thing. That you would just know that, that Jesus is alive, and hey, it's a happy day, everybody. So that should be caught in your head for the rest of our time. Again, if you are new to Blaze while you're sitting down, if you got a smartphone, scan that QR code, just a way for us to stay connected with you throughout this week. But maybe for you this morning, you're considering a question that I know I thought of this week, and maybe you haven't, so I'm going to toss it to you to consider now. And it's really this, what is all the fuss about Easter? Like, what, what's the big deal with Easter Sunday? Why, why am I in a suit after all? I feel like a robot up here. I have limited mobility. Like, we're, we're all dressed up. There's just something a little different about this day. There, there's something special about it and, and the kids being a part of our time together. Really, I want you to think, if you haven't yet, what's the big deal with Easter? What, why are we so focused on this, this resurrection Sunday? And really, this morning, I want us to talk about why the empty tomb? What was the tomb, in fact, empty? And why have for thousands of years, not just a small pocket of people, because if it was just like a small group of people that kind of looked at the resurrection and they believed it, we might be able to say, okay, well, that's just like, it's a cult following. It's just a small sect. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But why are there billions of people believing this? What, 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 what is it about this, the resurrection, the empty tomb? Why would we believe this? Why does it matter so much? And I want to share with you this morning, before we read together from someone who saw the empty tomb, I want to share with you that when it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to Jesus, I personally don't believe in Jesus because of something he said, but rather because of something he did. Let me say it this way, Christianity is different than every other religious system because its basis and its foundation is not found on teachings and principles. The foundation for Christianity is an event, and that event is the resurrection. And these are not my words. These are actually the words of someone who believed in Jesus thousands of years ago. And if you have doubts about Christianity or you just think this thing shouldn't even exist, so did this person who we're about to read from. In fact, he dedicated his life to trying to stop the Christian faith from advancing during a time under the Roman Empire where Rome was really good at stomping out any sort of revolutions or religions that would say, dare defy Caesar. This man, Paul, writes, has not been raised, then all our preaching is, would you say that word with me? useless. And your faith is, say it with me, useless. Okay, Paul, <laughs> that's harsh. That's blunt. That's direct. 
That's true. See, if all we have is the teachings of Jesus, if all we have is that, te- that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, a prophet, a revolutionary, someone who taught us to love others, even if we have someone who claimed to be the son of God and died on the cross, and if he stayed dead, Paul says all of it is useless. It is powerless. It doesn't matter. But if Christ rose from the dead, then this should change our lives. We should consider this. We, we, should, we should at least talk about it. So um, anyone here ever receive a scam text message before? Everyone's hands should go up at this point. It's getting out of control. I mean, it really is. All day my phone's buzzing and it's just another scam. And even my primary Google inbox is no longer protected. I'm just constantly, this is expiring and that. Now, there are some texts that come through that we look at it and say, very obvious a scam, right? But I almost got duped, everybody, not too long ago. Me, your pastor, admitting my wisdom failed me. It was so convincing because it came through as your city, verify your city bank charge. And I'm like, oh, I have a city bank card. Of course I'll verify. And there was, it was, had to be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I explained nothing else in this thumb. And I went to click the link and I was like, wait a second, let me check. Amy, did you spend any money on Citibank? Because I, of course, I accused my wife right away. Like, <laughs> what, did, what did you buy? I'm going to verify the purchase. Like, I didn't buy nothing. Okay. But I almost got duped. Some scams are so obvious, some things are so outlandish that we look at them and say, there's no point to even investigate it. Why bother talking about it? This clearly is not true. And other things, it causes us to wonder, to have a sense of intrigue. And I would like for us this morning in our time together, for this to be a starting point for you, that if maybe there's no wonder or intrigue when it comes to the resurrection, that you would just leave here saying, hmm, maybe I should at least give this some thought because after all, billions of people for thousands of years have believed that a man named Jesus claimed to die and rise from the dead and somehow he pulled it off. What is that about? At least consider it. So I want us to read together this morning the account of a man named John and what he experienced on the first Resurrection Sunday. And I want us to see how the resurrection can inform our hearts, hearts down here, our heads, I feel like I'm playing the game, heads, shoulders, knees, and toes, our heads, our hearts, and our hands, that we might see how the resurrection has the ability to influence our heads, or I'll say it this way, inform our intellect, inform our being, our hearts, that place where we believe, and inform our hands, really change the way that we live. That this morning we would consider together the resurrection, if we'll allow it to, can change our hearts, our heads, our hands. And so to do this, we're going to read, and, and before we read, we're going to read scripture. And for some in this place, they will read this and say, this is scripture. This is the inspired word of God. Maybe that's not where you are this morning. And so as we read, would you at least listen and consider and say, okay, these are the writings of a man named John, which history tells us existed. And he wrote about what he personally experienced that morning. His words, his account of what took place. Now, as we read, I'm going to invite everyone here, should you want to, when you see a word in yellow on the screen, to say it out loud with me. It will keep us engaged. So here we are, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and 
excellent. You all have 100. You're one for one. This is great. They saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Let's pause. The other disciple is John, the one who's writing this account for us. He writes himself into the story as a description that he believes identifies who he is, the one Jesus loves. Isn't that beautiful? Here's who I am. I'm loved by Jesus. And here's what she said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Huh. Now, Mary has been following Jesus for possibly three years at this point. Same thing with Peter and John. She gets to the tomb that morning and it's empty. The body is gone and she takes off running. And what does she say to these disciples? We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I mean, he's talked about his resurrection for years. You have the prophets that said that he would rise. How do you not no. There's something for us to consider there, and especially for you this morning, if as you're in this space, there may be doubt or skepticism around the resurrection of Jesus. If that's where you are, as a skeptic or a doubter, first of all, thank you for being in a church. That's a really big deal to be here. And I don't want you to feel marginalized or pushed out because of your doubt or skepticism. You should feel in good company. <laughs> because the first disciples they doubted. They didn't think she didn't go running. Guys, he did it. He's gone. He told us over and over, I will rise again, destroy this temple in three days. I'll bring it back to life. She didn't say any of that. Her first thought was, we have no idea what happened. <laughs> what do you mean? No, there's room for doubt. Some of us, that's all we need to hear this morning on this Easter, is that your doubts do not disqualify you from coming to the empty tomb. It may be an exact qualifier as to why you should consider the evidence even more. Doubt your doubts. Say, hmm, I don't know about this, but let me keep going. And so she tells them, we don't know. And here's what we read next in verse three. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Stay with me. Good job. And then we read in verse four, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I have nothing theological to draw from this moment. I just think it's great that when John writes about that morning, he includes a detail, I beat Peter in a foot race. How fun is that? Like, could you imagine Peter reading this about a decade or so later when it's circulating around the first century and he gets to John chapter 20 and he's just like, really, dude, you had to put that in? Like, how does this help? Any Don't forget, I beat you. <laughs> Most important race of our life and I got there first. He outruns them to the tomb. Now look what he does. Here's what John does in verse five. He bent over and say that word, looked. Okay, he looked in. So he gets to the empty tomb and he looks in and he sees strips of linen lying there, but notice he doesn't go into the tomb. Verse six says, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. So he's like out of breath. He just lost a race. He's like, I didn't get here first, but I'm certainly going into the tomb first. And he goes right in. And what does he do? He saw the strips of linen lying there. So he sees strips of linen 
says in verse 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. There's something we need to understand because this is 2,000 years ago. This is how bodies were preserved and buried. There was two important pieces of cloth that was used. There was one, the cloth that was wrapped around the body, around the head, and that had myrrh and fragrance in it to try and stop the decay and the smell. And then, besides the the cloth, there was the linen sheet that was then draped over the body to cover its nakedness. Peter notices, says he saw that there was both the linen and the cloth, but no body. This will matter to us in just a moment. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple, again, this is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he what? Saw and believed. Look at verse 9. John writes this for us. This matters. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So as John recounts this moment, he is so honest in his writing saying, we're seeing an empty tomb, but we're still not understanding and believing that Jesus actually had to rise from the dead. Again, we're talking how the resurrection informs our intellect, our being, and our doing, our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And with our heads, if there is skepticism and doubt in us, that's okay. It was for the disciples. And here's what John says next, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So 10 verses, or we might say John's written account of what he experienced that morning. Now, we are reading in English, yes? Yes, Yes, that was an easy one. We're reading in English, yes? yes? Okay, yeah, okay, here we are. The Bible has been translated into multiple languages over the past 2,000 years. And as translators come together to translate into a language, they do so from its original language. Does anyone know the original writing of the New Testament? It's Greek, yes. It's written in Greek. And when the translators go from Greek to English or Spanish or German, whatever the language is, there's only a set amount of words in that dialect to account for the original Greek. Now, I don't want to bore you with the history of this, so let's talk about something else for a minute. I love pizza. Anybody else? I love it. I mean, I could do it three times a day. You can make a breakfast pizza with eggs on it and ham. You can have a lunch pizza and then you load it up. You can even, we made a Nutella pizza once, everybody. This will set you free. You use Nutella as the sauce. You top it with strawberries and blueberries. You drizzle peanut butter and chocolate syrup and you put it back in the oven. God moves in that moment. I'm just, just, there's something about it. You dip it in whipped cream instead of sauce. It's great. Pizza's awesome. I love it. I also love my children. They were just up here on stage. Love them. Now, I'm using the same word, love, for pizza and my children. And now one of them is greater than the other, and I'll allow you to determine which one I love more on which day, all right? There's some days where I really love pizza today, and I think I'm going to eat a little bit more of it than I should. Okay, but you're getting from context that the same word love, because we're limited in our English language, is used to define different things. Well, in the Greek, there's more than three different Greek words that mean love. And they all have a different meaning. But if we were to translate them word for word, it wouldn't make sense. So we read the same English word for all three different people on this account. Mary, Peter, and John. 
And here's the English word that we read for them, and yet it was all different Greek words. We said that Mary went to the tomb, and what did she do? She saw the stone had been removed. Then we read in verse 8 that Simon Peter, what? Saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth. And then finally, the other disciple, John, he went inside and he what? He saw and believed. And if not for looking in the Greek text, we would read this and move past, and that's fine. I did the homework for you, everybody. You don't have to open up the Greek this week. But look at what we discover when we do. Mary, when she sees, the word literally means she observes. Be the best English translation. So she observed the empty tomb. She just, she observed it. Peter, when he saw the linen and the cloth, the Greek word literally means he discerned or analyzed it. And for John, when it said that he saw and believed, the Greek word literally means he spiritually saw it. Or we might say he saw it with his heart's eye. Now, again, no fault to the translators. Could you imagine if we got to that verse and it said, and John went in and saw it with his heart's eye. Like we went, what? So we just say he saw it and he believed it. I want to talk about Peter's seeing in this moment as we're discussing the resurrection and forming our intellect. When Peter gets to the empty tomb, he begins to discern and analyze what's in front of him. He discerns, because just as today we have theories and explanations for the empty tomb, so did the first century church and skeptics. There was the theory of, well, there were grave robbers. Someone somehow overpowered the Roman centurions, rolled the rock, and stole the body. Grave robbers did it. And Peter is thinking, if grave robbers took the body, he's discerning, why did they leave the expensive linens behind? He's thinking. Or maybe another theory, it was Jesus' own disciples that took the body to keep up with the roost that he was going to resurrect. And again, he's analyzing and he's looking now not at the expensive linens, but at the cloth that covers the naked shame of the rabbi and is thinking, if disciples did this, why would they dishonor the teacher and carry out a naked body and leave behind the cloth? What Peter is doing is what you and I are invited to do today. Use your mind. And the reason why that may sound so revolutionary in a church context is because maybe you've been in a church context before that said, oh, just believe. As if believing is so simple. Oh, don't think about it. Just blind faith. Just, just trust it. After all, that's what the first century disciples did. They just believed it. They were primitive. They didn't have iPhones. They couldn't Google it. They just believed whatever they saw. No, they didn't. They didn't believe it at all. Peter's thinking. He's using cognitive resource to analyze the moment. Maybe for you this morning, the biggest hurdle to your belief in the resurrection is one that exists up here. And I would say to you, don't put this against this. Why an either or? Either I just accept it or I think through it. No, both. Pastor Tim Keller, I love a quote that he says regarding the resurrection. He says, belief in the resurrection is not a blind leap of faith. It has left an enormous footprint as it were in history. Resurrection faith is not blind belief that rejects human reasoning. 
We're not going to just say, after all, dismiss all the evidence, dismiss all the claims. Don't think about it. Just believe it in your heart and move forward. Leave your mind at the door and only work with your heart. No. I would suggest to you that if today one of the biggest hurdles to your belief in the resurrection exists in a place of reasoning and thinking, here's the greatest thing you can do. Consider the evidence. Just consider it. As I said earlier, doubt your doubts for a moment. Why are we giving our doubts so much authority in our lives instead of wondering and thinking and saying, what if I doubt my doubts and actually consider the evidence? Go explore. And I'm not going to do it for you this morning because this may only apply to a handful in the room about the heads and the thinking and the logic. And that's not to say the rest of us aren't using our brains. Okay, everybody, no one gets offended at that. We're going to move on to the hearts now. But I, I would just say this to you. If you're struggling to believe in the resurrection because the evidence seems so off-putting, consider it, think about it, and talk about it. So what about our hearts? Well, there's more to that morning, and John writes about it for us. He says in verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as, say it with me, she wept, she stooped and looked in. So now she's finally going to peek into the tomb. And here's what happens. In verse 12, she saw and there's the seeing, two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And look at the question they ask. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her, because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And say it with me, and I don't know where they have put him. There it is again. She's not, her response, oh, don't worry. These are happy tears. He's resurrected. I believe I'm just getting ready for a worship service at the empty tomb. This, we're going to sing graves into gardens right here. This is going to be perfect. Like this is, this is where it happens. No, she doesn't believe at all. Now look at what takes place next. She turned to leave. In other words, she's leaving with her doubt. She's ready to walk out on this. He must not be alive. And she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. What causes Mary, who had walked with Jesus for almost three years, to not recognize Jesus standing there resurrected in this moment? Do you know what causes her to not recognize him? The fact that three days before, she saw him die on the cross. And later that evening... He was buried in a tomb. Let me say it this way. What causes her to not recognize him is she's not expecting to see him. Because who expects to see someone that you saw die three days earlier? No one. Guys, this is more evidence for us to consider. Here she is. She's not reckoned, turns around, sees Jesus right? He, he's just singing a song, don't stop believing, like he's there, it's awesome, like no, she doesn't even recognize him because it's the last person she expects to see because you don't expect to see a dead person alive. So what happens? Jesus speaks first, and that matters. Here's what he says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you, say it with me, looking for? This is fun, Jesus. 
Come on, this is fun. This is fun resurrected Jesus with a sense of humor. <laughs> Who are you looking for? Now, I think what Jesus is doing here is what each one of us need to wrestle with. Two very important questions. Why are you crying? And who are you looking for? Now, let's broaden that because they are the questions that you're already asking and I'm asking, but we're asking it a little different. We're being asked by God, what's broken in your life? What's causing you grief? What's causing you sorrow? What's not the way you want it to be? Now, as I say that, I'm sure you're already thinking of the answers. For some of you, what's broken in your life is your marriage. It's relationships. What's broken is, is your financial state. You're overcome with worry and doubt about the future and your security and your safety. What's broken in your life is your reason, your purpose. Your, you don't feel like you make a difference in this world. We all can answer that question in some way. What's causing you to cry? And then the second one goes with it. And who are you looking for? Or what are you looking to to fix what's broken in you? For Mary, she's broken over the fact that all of her hopes and dreams were put into Jesus and he died. And she's just looking for some consolation. She's looking for an answer at this point because again, the body's gone. What's your answer to that? What's breaking or broken in your life, and what are you hoping will fix it and mend it? Maybe for you, what's broken is that sense of worth. You just want to feel successful, and you're hoping that a job, a business, a career might do that, and you're striving and trying. Or it's a relationship, and if you could just find that one person who will complete you and make you feel right and whole, then, then you'll feel loved. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And all of us, like Mary, are going through the garden of life, asking and answering the question in some way. And we're lost. Because let's be honest, isn't it true that once we think we've found what will complete us, oftentimes we realize it's not doing a good enough job? I thought it would be that job, but it's not. I thought that person would make me feel whole and complete but they're letting me down. I thought my hope, my security would be in my physical image, but I still don't like what I see in the mirror. We are all of us lost, wandering around the garden, and here's the resurrection story. Jesus came to find us. Jesus came back to life to find us. And he does so with Mary. Now, Mary, again, still not believing it's him because why would she? She thought, she thought in verse 15 that he was the gardener. Oh, you're gardener, Jesus. I don't know who you are. Like, you, just be, you must be the groundskeeper here. And she goes, sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Now, Jesus has an option in this moment because he knows who he is. He knows who she is, but she don't know who he is yet. Now you follow? He's got options. So how's he going to respond? Are you kidding me? Whoa. That was you? <laughs> is he going to beat her over the head? How could you not believe? I told you this over and over again. The son of man must be killed and come back to life. Kill this temple, I'll raise it. Like he can, he can be angry with her. He can assault her in her doubt. 
And maybe if you're today, the reason why you're worried about Jesus is you're thinking if he ever shows up in my room suddenly, man, he's gonna be upset with how I've been living and what I've thought of him. How will he respond? And Jesus demonstrates exactly how he'll respond to each one of us in one word. All he says to her is this, Mary, Mary. All he speaks in that moment is her name. Why? Because he said earlier, my sheep know my voice. He knows my name. He declared while he walked this earth that he knows the very hairs on your head, that, that he sees every bird and every flower. He is that personal and intimate. And he knows your name. And for some of us this Easter, all we need to hear is him speak our name and our hearts will be changed. And Mary hears him say, Mary. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. One word from Jesus. One word that reveals this, and don't miss it. The resurrection is personal. The gospel, the good news, is not simply God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world, but rather God loved the world and he gave his son for you. And we only understand the personal beauty of the gospel when we can say, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. That's why we say Christianity is not based on teachings. It's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with the Lord himself. So I want to read to you for a moment from a children's Bible. And I don't mean this in a belittling way, like we're not understanding the adult Bible. I just love this children's Bible. I read it regularly for myself. And the author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, writes about this moment between Mary and Jesus, and I believe she does so in such a, just a beautiful way, and I want you to hear it this morning. Just then, Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming, but she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing Jesus. Mary fell to the ground and sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her body. And all she wanted in that moment was to cling to him and never let him go. The resurrection informs our intellect. I encourage you to consider the evidence about the resurrection. But belief is never merely intellectual. There's something in us that needs to believe. Our hearts and who we are. And lastly, we'll close by seeing that the resurrection changes our hands, or I'll say it gives us reason and purpose for our life. Because here is what Jesus says to her. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending 
to my Father, and say this with me, and your Father, to my God and your God. The personal gospel. Without belief in Jesus for yourself, God will simply be God, and the Father will simply be the Father, and you may or may not believe that he exists, but when you come to see that Jesus came to find you, then God stops being God, and he becomes my God, my Father. And this is, this is so cool. Look at how it ends. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have what? Seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. When we first read about Mary seeing the empty tomb, the Greek word that was used was the word observe. And as John ends in verse 18, you know what he does? He uses a different Greek word. He uses the same word he used for himself that meant spiritually see. Mary went on a journey that morning where she doubted, she observed, she encountered Jesus, and he led her to spiritually see, to believe. Is that not the journey that all of us are on? That maybe for you today, you're here and you're observing and you're hearing and you saw these kids saying, Jesus is alive. And, and we're going to spend time together and, and we're going to be with our families or friends later or whatever your day looks like. And we're just observing. Yet Jesus wants to meet us, to find us so that we would move from observation to spiritual belief. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And when we do, our hands are changed. Our lives are changed. Mary is given new purpose now. Look, look how cool this is. He says, Go and tell the others about me. Now that you know me, go tell others. He gives her a mission. Know God, and now go and tell others about me. I love it. Many Christian traditions refer to Mary as the first apostle to the apostles. And even that is evidence for us to consider because how and why would John say that a woman was the first eyewitness and the first apostle to others in a culture where women could not even testify in court? And yet God says, you will testify for me. I'm giving you worth. I'm giving you purpose. I'm giving you a reason. I'm changing your hands. Belief in Jesus changes our lives. And now maybe you're wondering, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what, what do I have to like start coming to church and praying and giving? Like, I want to understand what it means to live for Jesus. And that question is going to drive the next 10 weeks here at Blaze Church. I, I'm so happy that you're here this morning. I want you to know I'm praying that you come back next week. Same time, same place. Tune in to this program. We're going to gather right here next week in this space. And we are going to ask the question, what does it look like to live for Jesus? And to discover the answer, we're going to look at some text from Scripture that you may be familiar with. It's, it's popular. It's the Ten Commandments. Who's ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? Raise your hand. Even if you've seen the movie, that still counts. Come on. We all, we, we, we all know that. So next week, because I want you to be here next week, we're starting a brand new series called The Big Ten. Look at that. The Big Ten. Well, we're going to look at these 10 commandments and try to make sense out of this stuff because I'll be honest, it's weird. And, and there are some that I'm preaching that I'm like, I think I'm going to ask Joe to do this one. It's too hard. I can't take this one on. I refuse. Right? Some of these are like, is this even relevant? Really, the 10 commandments? I mean, maybe in a courthouse somewhere, uh, you know, maybe for the Jewish people thousands of years ago, but how is there any relevance for the 10 commandments? Make no other idols. 
in my life? Well, we're going to talk about it. And I'm so excited about this series. And this might be a little too excited. I don't know. I kind of let myself go. I made a t-shirt up for it, everybody. Isn't that awesome? The Big Ten. What size is this? It's a medium. Anyone a medium? Come on. There's a medium. Diana, you raise your hand first. Diana gets the Big Ten limited edition t-shirt, one of a kind. And there's jelly beans in there. And now the rest of us are jealous. Who is jealous? Thanks, Diana. We're all going to get a t-shirt. We have a t-shirt for everybody. Who's excited about that? Yes. You're still special. But now we're all special. So yeah, when you leave, we'll have some dream team out there so that everyone can get a Big Ten t-shirt. And really, we, we just want to celebrate. It's our Easter gift to you. We want to celebrate that this is where we're going for the next 10 weeks as a church. And, and I'd love for you to join us on this journey with your doubts, your skepticism, with your curiosity. Here's the question we need to ask and answer today. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? We have to consider it. We, we, ha we have to. At the very least, you have to just consider the resurrection. And like I said, then consider the evidence and explore it and talk about it with others. But what do you think when you hear about this? The billions of people are believing a message that was started at a time by a ragtag group of unschooled fishermen in a moment where Rome stomped out anything that was a threat to Caesar, it survived and it continued to survive and it grew and it's expanded and now it has infiltrated and influenced, if you would be honest, every part of every person's life in some way. If you've ever been to the doctor before, yes? That's a result of Christians. Christians were the first people to care for those who were wounded in a society that said, if you're wounded, you do no benefit to our tribe. If you've been adopted or know someone who has, that's Christianity at work. Christians started adopting children that were cast on the streets because they couldn't benefit Rome. Guys, we've all been marked by the resurrection in some way, by Christianity. The question is, do we believe it with our heart's eye? Do we see Jesus as the risen Savior? And that's the journey that you're invited to start today. So our worship team is going to join me on stage, and we're going to sing one more response song, and we're going to worship our God with this song that declares he is the one that makes things new, that changes graves into gardens, just like he did for Mary. But I want us, before we sing, to pray. And I would ask, and this may be new to you, and, and I'd just ask you if you'd like to bow your head in this moment. It's just a, a way that we pray, a sign of respect in this space. And if you'd like to, you can close your eyes even as I pray. And as we have this moment of our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and we're focused on the Lord, and we're just thinking of all that we've heard this morning, there may be something in you that's saying, I want to believe, I, I want to doubt my doubts today, and I want to come to Jesus. I recognize that he came for me just as he did for Mary. And today you're saying, I want to start the journey. I want to call on his name. Scripture says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That what Jesus did for the world, he did for you. And I'm going to pray. And as I pray, right where you are, just, just whisper out to the Lord, even in your thoughts, and say, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me today. And, and I want to I know you. I want to put my faith in you. 
And may you start to discover how only Jesus can change our lives. And so, Father, we come to you this morning with joy in our hearts, with excitement, knowing that Jesus is alive. He changes everything. I thank you, Lord, for that moment in the garden, Mary, Peter, and John, your son. Father, I thank you that in that moment of doubt and sorrow, gentle Jesus came and whispered a name. May we hear his name. May we, may we hear him whispering our names today. God, I pray for every person in this space that today would not just be isolated. Just one day where we come and we hear and then we leave it. May we move forward and consider what we've heard and read. May we, all of us, return to this space next week to consider how you're calling us to live. Lord, we do praise you for the resurrection of our Savior. Today is a day of celebration and we rejoice that because Jesus rose from the dead, we are made new. We are brought close to God, our God, that you are our Father and that you have redeemed our lives. We are brand new. And we all said a good amen together. Come on, amen. Would you stand up? Let's give God a hand clap of praise for his risen son and let's worship our King together. Thank you for joining us this Easter. And I can't wait to see you all next Sunday.